I don't know about you, but I'm on a different journey than when I first set off. And I know my destiny. Do you know where you're going? Do you know the hope that we have in Jesus Christ? We have an eternal destiny. Everyone who receives Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior, you're set on a different path. And your life and my life, when we see this clearly, when we see this light, when we see the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ and his return, as we heard earlier, it changes everything. The priorities that I have in life are different now than, than before. They're changing constantly. The more hope that I have, the more I see, the more I get to know my loving Father, the more I realize the purpose he has for my life. I'll tell you what, the more joy it brings, the more peace it brings, the more sense of, of purpose for being here. I, I just see in my spirit, you know, this, that we are all on this journey. And all around, there are storms and there are difficulties, there are pits. This pilgrim's progress is so timely, isn't it? There are pits, there are ponds of despair and despondency. But we need to fix our whole focus and be anchored in the glory of what is to come. And it will see us through. It's often in the darkness that something happens in us. It's often in these dark places that we look up and see that there is a greater hope, a greater glory. And we start to let go of the things that once we thought were just so wonderful and we held so dear. But suddenly now we realize, compared to the glory that we're uh, looking forward to and hoping for, these other things start to fall away from our lives. Is this the journey you're on? Well, one or two, it's the journey you're on. But I tell you, I hope by the end of today, more and more of us will get a hold of this glorious hope and say, Amen. I thought I was so encouraged and excited when Jenny at the end of one of the meetings said, Amen, Amen. She wanted to be part of the, of the call and the purpose and the plan of God. And I think that's a cry that all of us have, or many of us have within us, is to say, look, I'm in. But what am I in? <laughs> what am I here for? Well, we're here because God's called us by name, and he has a plan and purpose for every one of us. Let's turn to Romans 15, verse 13. And while that's coming up, let's just pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, that every single person in this room, Lord, you know by name. Lord, you know where we've come from. Lord, you know everything about our history. But wonderfully, Lord, you know our future too. And Lord, we want to take a hold of you today. Take a hold of your word and hear what your spirit is saying to us. I pray that you will breathe into every one of our hearts a new hope. Lord, a fresh hope, a fresh expression of your Holy Spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.
Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want us to say this together, but this time I want us to make it personal. I want us to say, may the God of all hope fill me with all joy and peace in believing, so that I will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Can we say that together? Now, may the God of hope fill me with all joy and peace in believing, so that I will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is only one true hope. It's hope in God, and it's found in the Lord Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection and his coming again. And when we have this hope inside of us, then we become a people of hope. God made us vessels to be overflowing. Everyone in this room, we're all overflowing with something. Rather, overflowing with, with things that uh, are just ungodly and of this world, or we're overflowing with a great hope. Jesus said that out of the overflow of the heart, our mouth speaks. I believe it's out of the overflow that we live our lives. As God fills us and fills us with hope, as we trust in him and have faith in him, then this overflows. And God created you and me for deep connectedness with himself and with others. Remember the old song that we used to to sing, uh, bind us together, Lord, bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. Bind us together with love. And I remember every time I used to sing, we used to sing that song, Dave would, would say, now let's sing this to one another. And so my glasses would come off. And, and then that would take some of the perhaps embarrassment away. But you know, now I can look into people's eyes and I can say, I love you. And I believe that God wants that kind of love in the body of Christ, where we overflow with the love and the hope that we have in our hearts towards one another. It's amazing, actually, as I was, was preparing for, for, to give this word, I, I think I looked at virtually every scripture that had the word hope in it, and I went through. And there are a number of words that seem to always circulate around the word hope. Where there's hope, there is faith. Where there's hope, there's love. Where there's hope, there's joy. Where there's hope, there's peace. It seems that whenever we talk and think about hope, these things seem to all be circulating like friends that, uh, that come together in hope. So when we have hope, we have faith and love and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. And this is the kind of hope that God wants every one of us to have. I can't give myself hope. And I can't share with you that, uh, hope that I don't have. But I have a glorious hope. And that makes me a hope giver <laughs> as well. Because I have hope. I can speak and share the hope that I have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the hope that every one of us can have in him as well. And you can be a hope giver. You can be so full of hope 
that when you speak to other people in your workplaces and your friends and your family, you overflow with this genuine sense of hope in Christ Jesus. We're a community of hope. We live in a world of cynicism, don't we? Of pessimism, of despair. And yet, out of the ashes we rise and we can shout a hallelujah in the, in the midst of darkness and despair. Something within us can rise up and say, I know the God of hope. I know the hope of the world. I know the true hope that every one of us can have. It's not a hope, hallelujah, <laughs> whoever said that. It's not a hope in the traditional sense, is it? It's not, I hope you'll be okay. Uh, I hope I didn't uh, say the wrong thing to you. I, I hope I didn't miss the train. I, I hope I locked the door behind me. I, I hope I didn't forget to switch the cooker off. Uh, hope can sound, can't it, a little more than wishful thinking. Wishing for something you would like to happen or would prefer maybe not to happen. But the hope that we have in God is a certain expectation of the good that we don't yet see. And it especially looks forward to the glorious return of the Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection. It speaks of the promised hope, the hope of glory, the hope of the gospel, the blessed hope and the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, the hope of the fulfillment of all the promises of God. Hope, therefore, looks forward in expectation, in a very good sense, confident in the fulfillment of things promised by God and is yet out of sight and beyond this world. Hope knows that something good is going to happen and it attaches us to that event. This is the hope of God. Hope isn't a feeling that just comes and goes. It has a lasting quality to it. Along with faith and love, the scriptures tell us that these three remain. I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. I have a seal of approval on my life. Not of anything of myself, but I know that God has adopted me into his family. I'm part of his kingdom. I'm part of a holy people called of God. And so are you. Sealed with the Holy Spirit. The seal of adoption. And this seal of adoption, they also sealed also in those times a seal of inheritance. And we have been sealed as well with a, an inheritance, a glorious inheritance in him. What a great hope we've got, folks. A glorious hope. King David said, but as for me, I shall always have hope. Psalm 71, verse 14. I will praise you more and more, O sovereign Lord. And in verse 5 of the same psalm, it says, For you have been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. Hope is eternal in its nature, and it causes this increasing joy and thankfulness. I will praise you more and more. It looks back at the promises uh, that have been fulfilled. And it says that God has been faithful in the past. And therefore every promise yet to be fulfilled in him is yes and amen. It looks forward and says, 
He's done that. <laughs> He's going to do this too. He's been faithful throughout all time, and he will remain faithful. Psalm 119, verse 49 to 50, it says, Remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. My comfort in my suffering is this. Your promise preserves my life. Hope carries you through the darkness of affliction and sees the light at the end of the tunnel. Now, the Apostle Paul speaks a lot about hope. And, you know, he didn't just talk about it, though. He lived in the reality of it. And, you know, we mustn't think that Christianity is just about learning more and more or trying harder and harder to be good. It's about the powerful work of the Holy Spirit in me as I yield my life to God. Paul prayed in Ephesians 1.18, part of that prayer. He says, he prays that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. We need an awakening. I've said this before. When, the, when we, our hearts are awakened to God, when we get a revelation, then we see why we're here and what we're living for. But it has to come as a revelation to every one of us, an awakening of our hearts. Are you sensing in yourself an awakening? You're sensing more this, this awakening in God for, for this time, for this season. And we need to, to be awake, folks, in this day. I need to connect with the truth of God's word in humility and the power of the Holy Spirit working within me so that I'm not just trying to do the right things, but as I yield to God, I become a new creation. This is so important that we're not, it isn't just about trying harder and harder, folks. It's about yielding ourselves to God, giving ourselves to him totally, to his purpose, setting our eyes on the glorious hope that he has for us. And as we yield to him, and as we desire more of him, he does a very real work in our hearts. He shifts things, he changes things. He, he changed, I said at the start, he's, I, I'm not walking in the same direction I was walking uh, before. Because God is constantly changing things in me, shifting things around. And I just want more and more of God in my life. I want to be living in the purposes of God. Is that something that resonates with you? Is that something in you that says, I want more of God? He wants us to yield to him and allow him to do that transforming work in our hearts. That I can become and you can become uh, the person that God knows that you can be. Now, the Apostle Paul was taken to Rome to face uh, trial. Uh, the crime that uh, he'd committed was to give his testimony, uh, sharing that he had had an experience, a personal encounter with the risen Messiah, Jesus, who'd called him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and had given him the hope of the resurrection from the dead. It's because of this hope, he said, that God raises the dead that I'm in these chains. And when Jesus called Paul, he also commissioned him to do a particular work. 
And you're going to see how important it is that you know that there's a calling on your life. In Acts 27, I'm not going to, I'm going to tell the story. I'll refer to just a few verses as I go through this. But we read that Paul is boards a ship as a prisoner to be taken to Italy, along with some other prisoners who were also, and, and trades people and all kinds that boarded this ship. 276 people were boarding. There was a, a centurion called Julius, and of course his troops to guard the other prisoners and so on. And, um, and no doubt this ship would have gone along the coast, it would have dropped off cargo and picked up people. There's trade going on, all kinds going on. And Julius must have been familiar with Paul's case because he, he gives Paul some freedom on the ship and, looks, and, and, and lets the other um, disciples, his friends, look after him. Isn't it wonderful that his friends are willing to, uh, to get on that ship with him and travel all the way to Rome? That's friendship, isn't it? To, to leave their families behind, to leave, you know, perhaps things that they were, their business affairs or whatever it might be they're involved in, to leave that to be with their friend. And, and so they, they board the ship together and the sailing conditions were absolutely dreadful. Uh, the wind was against them and the ship was, um, was way behind schedule. And as the conditions worsened, they became treacherous. And Paul warns them that if they continued their journey, they risk the ship, the cargo, and even people's lives. The pilot of the ship, however, he's, um, uh, he uh, wants to press on. So he's, the conditions change. They seem fair, uh, favorable. And so he convinces the centurion um, uh, to ignore the advice that Paul gave and to press on and take ad- advantage of uh, what seemed to be uh, the right conditions for Uh, for the sailing but it wasn't the right decision and I wonder how many unnecessary storms we go through uh, when we uh, ignore uh, what God's saying to us Uh, a hurricane force wind it says called the north easter comes down and uh, hits the ship head on and it it was so powerfully uh, powerful that they were totally at the mercy of the storm so the sailors say they fasten ropes around the ship to pass under the ship and to, t- to tie the ship together and then they throw the sea anchor uh, over over the uh, the back of the ship as well so that it gives the ship a bit of stability and then on the first uh, day of this uh, terrible storm they then start to throw over the cargo and you know this is precious cargo they're throwing over here that people are perhaps waiting for in the ports that they're going to deliver to the so they, they throw it overboard and uh, things get absolutely desperate. In fact, so desperate that on the third day, it says the crew throw the tackle over with their own hands. So all the winches, the pulleys, anything that can get in the way and obstruct or be a danger to the, the crew, they, they, they cast it all over, overboard. Uh, perhaps even their welfare, you know, the winches and the things they, they need for their own livelihood. And for many days, we're told... There was no sun, no stars, only darkness. They were being thrown around relentlessly by the wind and the waves and the storm. You can imagine, can't you, just the, the, the rain coming down here and the sea coming in here. Uh, the fresh water from the rain, the salt water from the sea. Uh, soaking wet, 
but absolutely parched and thirsty, not having uh, drunk anything for, for days. And finally, it says in verse 20 of chapter 27, it says, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. There were no further options, no hope in the natural. And it's then that the man of God stands up in the midst of them and speaks with hope. He's in the same storm. He's going through the same thing. But he stands up in the midst of the storm. And he said to them, God sent an angel to stand alongside me and to tell me, do not be afraid because because God, what? Was it that God loved him? Is that why he was going to save him? Was it because his prayers maybe had been heard? Quite possibly. But what it says is that Jesus has unfinished business with you, Paul. I'm going to save you, and I'm going to save everybody with you. I'm going to show grace to all the, the prisoners, everybody else on this ship, whatever they've done. Whatever, I'm going to save them through this storm, because I've got a plan and purpose for your life. Isn't that fantastic? And if God's got a purpose for your life, guess what? He's going to see you through. He's going to see you through that storm. You know, it's a good thing maybe for them that they were close to a man of God. You know, pretty uh, good that he was on board that ship. But I tell you what, it's even better to be the man of God. Now, Paul had faith in God's word. If God makes a promise, then he's going to fulfill his word. In verse 25, he says, I have faith in God. It will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we're going to run aground on some island. There's still the consequences of that bad decision. But it'll happen just as God said it would happen. Can you imagine for a moment, 14 days of a hurricane-force storm. Two weeks they were on board that ship being thrown around, battered about, no sleep, very little rest, if any, no appetite for food, no opportunity to eat. It's difficult to imagine how they felt, and it's even more difficult to imagine the condition of their bodies. You imagine being thrown around the bruises, perhaps the head injuries, that they were, they, they'd suffered as they were thrown around by this uh, terrible storm. But as they're on, uh, in this uh, storm, it says that they began to suspect that land was near, and they dropped four anchors and prayed for daylight. When we're in the storm, folks, maybe we need to pray for daylight. Hang on to God and pray for the day to come. And... It says some crew thought they had a better idea. They thought that they could escape uh, by um, getting into the uh, lifeboat um, and jumping ship. But Paul sees what's happening, and he says to the centurion, if you want the word of God to be fulfilled, if you want for all of these people to be saved, then we need to listen and obey the word of God to the letter. 
and obey what he said. And so they cut free the lifeboat. And it's important, you know, that we, we separate ourselves from all of the hopes. All these other things that you've been putting your hope and your trust in. Cut them free and hold on to God. Put your whole hope and trust in him. And again, after the lifeboat is, uh, is separated and uh, cast into the sea, Paul steps forward again. And he says, for the last 14 days, you've been in constant suspense. And I've gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you, take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. And after this, it says he took some bread, gave thanks to God in front of them all. 276 people on board that ship in the middle of a storm, and he breaks bread and gives thanks to God. This is us <laughs> in the middle of the storm. We can be the difference. We have hope in God. We can break bread, as it were, in the midst of all of the people of this world in utter despair. And we can show them that our hope is found in Christ alone, in him, that we trust in him. He's the answer. And it says that they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. And it says, when daylight came, they cut loose the anchors, raised the sail to the wind and made for safety. And I just want to just bring out some, some things from, from this storm. You see, Paul, he knew the doctrine. He knew the scriptures, but he lived the life. And you know, how many times have I heard, I speak to myself here, how many times have I heard so much truth, so many things, and it appears that I need to hear them again and again and again, and I still don't change. But God is doing something very different in me. And I believe God is doing something different now. I think he is, by his Holy Spirit, starting to bring to life these words in our hearts. So that they're not just words that we know on a page or in our heads. But actually they're words that transform our hearts and lives. There is something different happening. But we need to connect to God, to his word, to put our hope in him. Trust in him, but our faith in him. There were five anchors, I don't know whether you noticed, that were thrown overboard. And I just want to use these anchors as a kind of metaphor for hope. The first anchor was described as the sea anchor. And the sea anchor was used when the water was too deep to, uh, to drag along the bottom of the sea to slow the ship down. It was designed to steady the ship using the natural current of the water rather than the ship being driven here, there, and everywhere. But these great undercurrents of the sea, that they would just guide the ship and prevent it from disaster. And you and I don't need to be driven off course by the storms of life. We can put our hope deep into the current of God and let him steer us. Lamentations 3, verse 21 to 26, it says, Yet this I call to mind. Therefore, I have hope and expectation. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great 
is your faithfulness. If you've got an Amplified Bible, I think it also says grace is your stability. This word speaks of the stability, the faithfulness of God. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope, whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The fact that God is good is a truth in itself, isn't it? But we also read in this verse, in these scriptures, that goodness is released when we hope in him. That when we are tempted with other delicacies, um, it's worth waiting for our portion to come from God. You know, we can, I remember um, when I was a kid, uh, one Christmas I'd eaten too, many, too much chocolate and too, much, uh, too many sweets before the Christmas meal. And I just didn't enjoy the Christmas meal as much as I could have done. <laughs> you see, I'd taken my portion from the sweets and the delicacies rather than the main course. But God is our portion. Are we going to be satisfied and fill our lives with the things of this world? With, yes, perhaps delicacies, things that you know, we think are pleasing and satisfying to us when God can be our portion. God is the very best. We can know peace and joy and blessedness, knowing that all is well with my soul, even in the midst of a storm. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. Psalm 62, verse 5. Hope comes from him to those who wait for their portion and don't try and fill their lives with false hopes. You know, people will lay aside everything for one pursuit. And think of the people who give their best to sport, give their best to business, give their best to the arts. At all cost, the pursuit of what we can be and what we can have and how we can be recognized. But where do you find true satisfaction, true hope, true joy? It's in God alone. Outside you can wear a mask, but inside... Is your soul being eaten away with false hopes and desires and things that will never satisfy you? We all need an adventure to lose our life for. But God offers an adventure worth living for. So the first anchor, the anchor of stability, trusting in God's faithfulness. God is the source of all hope and he calls himself the God of hope. The second answer, the anchor I've called the anchor of our devotion to God. You know, Moses, in the midst of the storms, when he was uh, being uh, faced with the difficulties of people who had daily disputes, he needed clear direction from God. There were threats of rebellion. You know, he had to hear from God. And so he took the tent of meeting outside of the camp into the quietness and solitude. And he spent time alone with God, to dialogue with God, connect with God in friendship and relationship with his father. Time set aside to be a human being rather than a human doing. Jesus would go to solitary places to pray and seek God and be filled again. And then he'd stride out 
in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, you will know as well when you spend time with God in the quiet place how the, the waters are refreshed, how life starts to blossom again and how we have renewed hope. And Paul, as I said before, in the midst of them all, gave thanks to God. The God of hope filled him with this trust and this peace and this joy. His devotion was God wasn't, to God wasn't just a religious act, but an inner reality that just came out of him. The foundation of true and lasting relationship is this. I chose you. God chose you. Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And God says, I chose you. You're mine. God wants to connect with us, to be up close and personal. And we often don't, we try and manage distance this far, and, and that's close enough in relationships, don't we? If maybe someone's hurt us, we say, well, that's far enough. I'm not going to let you in. But God wants to be up close and personal with each one of us. We can trust him. We can trust his word. We can let him in. You know, it's amazing how God invites us into his presence, into his glorious presence. But how wonderful as well that this little tent of mine, that God fills me, he comes to dwell here in my heart as well. So the first anchor is God is the source of our hope. And also, the second, we've got to connect with God to the very source. We also need to connect with other people. There's many links in a chain of an anchor. But an anchor's no good if a single link is missing, is it? We need each other. You need me, and I need you. God has designed us for community. A community that overflows with hope towards one another. Pray for one another. Pray for those who don't yet have this hope. Commit to pray for family and friends and colleagues. Pray that God will be, that they'll connect with God. God does something wonderful in our hearts. I've said it many, many times. uh, Romans 5, 5 teaches us that hope does not disappoint us. God's given us his spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance. He fills us, it says in Romans 5, verse 5, with his love. And so as we go through this life, from here to eternity, we live in the love of Christ, with his love, pouring out from us towards others, giving others this hope as well. His spirit at work in our lives causes us to love as Jesus loved. Even when Mankind, even when we still hated him, he died for every one of us. And he demonstrates his own love for this, that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died. Notice that it's his own love. He demonstrates his own love. We can't generate this kind of love. We have to receive it from God. Be transformed by the power of God, the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 12 says, Therefore, Since we have such hope, we're very bold. We're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while his radiance was fading away. We have the radiance. We heard this at the start, didn't we? The the light, the radiance of Christ in our lives. This is what God wants to radiate from us, this hope, this life of God towards others. The very start of that uh, scripture in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, it says... 
the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. God's supply never runs out, folks. It's limitless. There's so many pictures in the Bible of the limitless giving of God. Remember the, um, uh, the, 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 the woman who uh, was running out of flour and oil. And uh, the man of God, uh, she made the cake for him, for Elijah. And then the, um, uh, the, the, the flour never ran dry and the oil never ran dry. This is our God. He's the God who fills us to the overflowing. Did you know as well, and fourthly, it's the anchor of promise. God made a promise to Paul that whilst the cargo and the ship would be lost, everybody would be saved. And throughout scriptures, we're reminded again and again of the promise of Christ's return. And this is one of the most repeated promises in scripture. Do you know there's 737, I don't know who's counted all these, different future events that God said would happen. Um, and some of these, many of these are repeated uh, 300 times or so. And of these promises, 80% of them have already been, uh, have already happened. Now, does that mean that God is just 80% reliable? Not, not at all. You see, the remaining promises relate to the future, what is going to happen. This book is a, is a book of hope <laughs> from beginning to end. Promises of God that we can hope in and trust in. They're not uh, speculation. But when God says he's going to come, when Jesus says he's going to return, then he's going to return. And in his parable, he said, keep the oil topped up. (laughs) Keep those lamps burning, folks. We need to be filled, renewed by the Holy Spirit daily. In Hebrews 6.19, it says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. You know, hope is like a homing device. We, we put it somewhere, and it draws us to itself. And we can put our hope in, in the wrong things, as I said before. But we need to ensure that our hope is an anchor, that's anchored beyond our sight, out of this world, but in the sure promises of God. The anchor chain in my life is being drawn in and in and in. And for all of us, it's the same, isn't it? The the anchor chain is being drawn in. But rather than the anchor being drawn to us, I'm being drawn to the point at which is anchored, my heavenly hope. And that should be the same for every one of us, that more and more we're being drawn more towards God and towards his hope, and our hearts are filled with joy. You know, Easter is one of those times, isn't it, where there's so much celebration because we're remembering the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this should be our daily experience, remembering the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, he's coming again. And then finally, fifthly, hope is an anchor point for our faith. Faith, it says in Hebrews 11 verse 1, is the assurance, the confirmation, the substance, the title deed of the things we hope for and the evidence or proof of things not seen, the certainty and conviction of their reality.
Do you have this hope? I pray that we'd all have this hope. It is so real to me, folks. It's changed my life. We need this hope. Get it. <laughs> Whatever you do, get this hope. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming again. He's risen from the dead. And I've been raised with him. The cargo was cast overboard. All the ships tackled. Everything that was a hindrance and an obstacle was thrown over. Everything so that progress could be, could be made. I think it's uh, as well that, that picture when they, they cut the ropes and put up the sail and they headed for the land. <laughs> and we need to cut, be cut free of every hindrance put up the sail to the Holy Spirit in our lives and head for glory. Head for the safe land, for the safe haven. If we've got time, I'd like us to to sing um, a a song now. Uh, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' uh, blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly Lean on Jesus' name. And I just want to pray this, this prayer before we do. If we bow our heads and then we'll, we'll, we'll enter into this, this song. We'll worship and allow the Holy Spirit to give us this hope again. Renew this hope. Refresh this hope within us. And I want to pray the scripture in Romans 15 verse 13 as we bow our heads. God of hope, fill me with all joy and peace as I trust in you, so that I may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.